The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guests today are two very well-known broadcasters in Canada, Cynthia Loist of CTV's The Social, and my colleague from Indie 88, Josie Dye. They are the creators and co-hosts of a new show and podcast called Unmentionables. It was um, an embarrassing yeah. bodily function that I was going through, and I just blurted it out. And when I was on the phone with Josie, she got very, very quiet. And I, I remember th- where I was I was walking. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when we had this conversation. Yeah. And I <laughs> thought to myself, have I gone too far? Like, I basically have just said something gross about myself, and she's totally turned off because there was such a big silence. But then she was like, oh, my God, I'm Same going. things happening to me. <laughs> yeah. So that's that yeah. was basically the moment I feel like we yeah. knew that we became. We were kindred that's spirits. Right. That's right. Strange <laughs> sisters. Yes. Right before we hit record, you were saying you're kind of sick of yourself right now. I totally understand that. <laughs> exactly. This is what happens when you're in media. You're kind of, you see yourself everywhere. You hear yourself everywhere. This is it. It's not as bad. I think everyone's had the experience, whether you're in broadcasting or not, of hearing their own voice on a recording somewhere. And you're just like, God, is that the way that I sound? But us in broadcasting, we constantly have that. And then if you have had a bunch of things that you've been doing in media and you listen to yourself speak after a while, you're just like, I, I got to get away from myself. But you can't. So uh, we are going to talk about the launch of your new podcast and show. We're actually going to pull in your co-host for, I guess we'll call it a Women in Media podcast cameo. <laughs> Love it. Where, where did your broadcasting career start? Well, I went to school initially for film. I thought I wanted to be a screenwriter um, and then was in sort of screenwriting. I thought just because I loved movies and I loved media uh, that that naturally that that's what I should go into. But little did I realize quickly that being a screenwriter, especially in this country, is extraordinarily hard. And mostly you're a writer-director. And I thought, oh, my God, I graduated with a degree and was sort of left going, what do I do now? So I took a year off, and then I did a, an advanced program um, at uh, at Ryerson, what was known Ryerson at the time. It's now Toronto Metropolitan University. And, uh, and it was in radio and television arts. And they had a kind of... Um, truncated program that should have been a master's program, but where you could fast track and just get everything done in like two years, I think. And after the first year, I got an internship at a little show called Sex TV. And it was like all of my interests suddenly collided because I was always interested in in storytelling, like realized later on that my interest in screenwriting was actually about storytelling. And I was also always very interested in sexuality and sexual health and all of the things that nobody wants to talk about, but everyone is curious about. And so um, that show, I remember I was at my boyfriend's house. This is in the late 90s. We were watching TV and that show came on and I was like, what is this? And for those listening who don't remember it, it was an extraordinarily edgy and progressive documentary series. It was syndicated around the world. It won tons of awards. And I feel quite proud of the incredible um, content that we produced. It was everything from exploring, um, you know, uh, the the world of porn, um, about um, married priests, about people who, you know, lived in alternative, non-monogamous relationships. And we always had such a respectful and curious lens. It was, it was more, the idea and the philosophy behind the show was just to hold a mirror up 
to to the way people were living and do it as non-judgmentally as possible. So we uh, were an eclectic group who got to travel the world and meet very interesting people. There was no host on that show. And I will say, quite frankly, I had zero interest in being a television host at that time. I, I kind of low-key hated hosts. I'm shocked. Yeah. I just found like I, my impression, and this certainly is ne- not necessarily true, but my impression was that a lot of hosts were being fed their ideas and their, you know, I was thinking of sort of like talking head type hosts. And uh, so I was very happy to be behind the scenes and I was lucky enough to sort of move my way up the ranks quite quickly. And I became a uh, like a manager and a, and a head producer um, creating original content for a, a, a subsequent channel uh, called Sex TV the channel. It was a digital channel. And so did that for a while. And then 2008 happened. And 2008 was the year, if everyone remembers, where everyone, including my colleagues, were losing their jobs. The recession for most people. And there had been a changing of the guard in the building that I worked in. And one of the executives at that time had been subtly saying to me, I think you need a host for your channel. I think that person should be you. And I was like, no, 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 let's audition this person. Let's audition this person. And then at some point in time after, you know, he, he didn't like that person, he didn't like that person, I realized that probably I had to do something. And so long story short, I ended up pitching a series, a late night series that I could produce and host. And that was basically the beginning of my on-air career. It was like being thrown in the deep end with a bunch of sharks, basically. I'm not a late night person. I didn't want to be on air. And suddenly I'm doing a live call-in show about sex where I'm running my own teleprompter. So that's how you, it's like trial by fire. <laughs> oh yeah. You were, you were thrown right in with the wolves. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. How did yeah. you feel like if you think back to your first time hosting and being on camera, how did you feel in your skin that day? Horrible. Sarah, I was the worst. I like I couldn't hardly string a sentence together. I made so many cringeworthy mistakes. I I couldn't even sort of naturally throw to break. Everything felt so artificial. And I'm what you call uh, an ambivert. I think that's like a kind of cross between an introvert and an extrovert. I've got to be one of those two. Okay. So you relate. So, so you know, like it's some situations just suck the energy right out of you. And so I wanted to crawl into a hole trying to make small talk with uh, strangers at that time. It felt horrible. How did you get through from that to the social? Were there several on-camera positions through those two points in your career? From there, after I did that late night show for a, you know maybe a year, year and a half, I was given the opportunity to audition for a nerdy show called Inner Space. And it was on the Space Channel and it was, uh, yeah, nerdy. It was like sci-fi and horror. And I didn't have a ton of experience with sci-fi. I was a big horror fan and I played video games. Um, and I was very grateful. Like that was an amazing opportunity. Got to travel to you know LA and interview celebrities and had some very interesting encounters. And then <laughs> I was it was while I was working on that show. I uh, I there were rumblings around for quite a while. To be honest, that the executives wanted to do a kind of show like The View, a Canadian The View, but different. And so I did an audition at one point. That I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about. I won't give you too many details, but where I was going to be the the sex expert. 
And there was a whole different incarnation of people on that pilot. And then that pilot kind of went away and nobody talked about it for a while. And then fast forward maybe a year later, suddenly they were doing auditions again. And I was brought in and being considered as a host. Now, the thing was, is I was eight months pregnant at the time. And I knew their timeline was quite quick, so I thought they're never going to hire me. There's no way. But they did. I remember you brought that up when you were on um, the Jan Arden podcast with us. And you were talking about like the terrible things that were going through your head, too, at that point. Like You're supposed to be celebrating this milestone in your life. You're about to give a child life. And yes. there you are, worrying about what you look like on TV. Yeah. Well, it was a very strange experience to give birth to a child and then also give birth to a show at the same time. And, uh, you know, like we didn't know what that show was going to be. We hardly knew each other. And I remember vividly doing press before the show had actually started. And, you know, we're kind of making shit up. We're just like, uh, the show, yeah, it's about fashion. It's about, we didn't really know what it was going to be exactly. And, um, and yeah, I, I felt quite vulnerable, you know, having just given birth, your body doesn't feel like your own. I had leaky boobs. I, uh, like, I, I just was, I was, I was crying all the time too. I was, my hormones were all over the place. So it was a strange way to start a, a very, a new career in a way, um, from that headspace, but it's been 10 years now. So it worked, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the most interesting things I think about unmentionables, which we'll get into soon, is that it sort of incorporates all the things that you're talking about now, body image, you know, things going on behind the scenes in motherhood, maybe. Um, and again, sex, right? And pleasure. Um, so before we go there, um, maybe you can talk about, you know, you also have done some writing in a column and you're very pro pleasure. I want to hear about that yes. too. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So I was raised Catholic. Were you raised in a religious environment? A Jew-ish. Not really. Okay. Okay. Ish. I like that. Jew-ish. <laughs> um, well, I was Catholic, full, like full Catholic. And I think a lot of people who were raised in a, in a repressive, strict environment um, end up having a bit of a rebellious phase. And in particular Catholics, at least the Catholic girls that I know, did a lot of times feel like the message you get pummeled with was if it feels good, don't do it. Don't trust it. You, you're, you're don't trust. You cannot trust your body. Every kind of desire that you think of or feel it's a slippery slope to ruin. And, you know, I, I grew up immersed in that kind of mentality, but as I got older, I, I it became very clear to me as I watched, you know, I watched someone very close to me get unintentionally pregnant, um, as a teenager. And it, it was very eye-opening to me of like, when you give girls in particular that message over and over again, it leads them to have their lives completely disrupted, if not ruined. It leads them to be more vulnerable to being preyed upon. It leads them to undermine their own confidence because they've never trust, learned to trust their own desires and, and, and wants. And so um, I, I became really interested in, in pleasure in particular um, during the time when the social was launching because I found myself sort of running from point A to point B and only thinking about my to-do lists and how's my performance doing on the show and how's my performance with my partner in the bedroom anymore? Like, am I a good mom? Am I, you know, did I do the laundry? Like, I was just, I was just a maniac for, for feeling like I wasn't doing my womanly duties in the proper way. And when I started reaching out to other women, they were all sharing the same stories. They were like, I can't remember the last time I did anything for me. 
And so I thought there's something here. So that sort of led me on this deep dive to kind of exploring pleasure and, you know, all of the actual, you know, misunderstandings we have around it, which led to a website and then a subsequent book. And I still, I'm extraordinarily passionate about this as a subject. I feel like, you know, I, I recently there was a, a clip on the social where I talked about um, the importance of, of, you know, naming our body parts and talking about the vulva in particular and how the penis and the clitoris are actually the things that we should be comparing to one another because they are built from the same tissue. But what do we say as we grow up? We say penis and vagina. Oh, I saw that clip. Yeah, it's our birthing canal. It's not where the majority of vulva owners get their pleasure from. And it matters. These are small ways in which we've all just as a society accepted that like, you know, oh, okay, I guess the penis and the vagina are the same thing. That one's that and one's that. No, they're not. One actually is the thing that will lead you to have pleasurable sex, and the other is your birthing canal. And when you grow up as a female being told that what matters about your anatomy is your birthing canal, it sends a very strong message about how important your pleasure is. And I say, fuck that. (laughs) Fuck that. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. It sounds like you were still very open growing up when it came to like conversations around sex, even though you were maybe feeling suppressed about it. Um, I remember my mom gave me a book when I was mm. 12 years old and it had some pictures in it. And like one of the pages, it said to like hold a mirror between your legs to like figure out what's going on down there. And I wasn't like thinking about pleasure at all. I was thinking, why do I have body hair and what is going on with my body? Like the changes, right? So there's something there too about just growing into your body. And I found it really interesting on an episode of Unmentionables, this sort of like ties into it. You were, you were referring to your body at a time when it was just a body and it had no judgment. Where do you think like today in 2023, we're coming up on International Women's Day, where does the conversation about our bodies need to go? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, I don't think I have a, a one answer, a simple answer. I, I, it might be an essay. It might be an essay. I'll try to keep it short. I just, I <laughs> like, I hate the fact that we're women in particular are still so focused on their own bodies and on other people's bodies, even when we're celebrating bodies and saying, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, she's, she's a, a curve woman and she looks great in that body or no, look at how fit she is. Look at her postpartum body. We're always just talking about people's bodies. Objectification too. Yeah. yeah. And part of that I think is human. Like I do think there's something about there's a reason why we look at bodies and we we find them attractive and and but I think those what we find attractive is heavily influenced by the culture and the media messages that we get. Um, so I'm I'm not criticizing people for reacting in ways that I'll just give you a personal example. You know, the past few years, especially during the pandemic, I realized how much my own body, and maybe it's because I'm in the public eye, but has occupied a certain amount of my mental space. And I think most women can relate to the idea of like trying on clothes and then feeling bad about themselves as a result of something because of the way it fits or doesn't fit or doesn't fit like it used to. And I'm not saying that men don't go through this, but I think that the way in which we criticize ourselves and the amount of time and effort we spend is still so devastating to me because it like it really doesn't matter. And people are not paying that close attention to other people's bodies. Well, actually they are, they probably are. But the intricate thoughts. Well, and that's it. Like, I mean, maybe this is what you're hinting at right now. Like I would never think about someone else's body the way that, or criticize someone else's body the way that I criticize my own. 
That's and what I'm that saying. comes from a long line of like, I grew up with very strong messages. A lot of women in my life, my moms, my aunts, my grandma, they had a lot of negative commentary around bodies because they obviously were also fed, given that. So I, I think it's hard to undo. Um, one of the things that I've really been interested in lately is the work of Sonia Renee Taylor. She's an author. She's an activist. She's um, she's a, a black woman, and she's just got such a powerful voice. And she wrote a book called "The Body Is Not an Apology." And I here's so you asked me where you think this conversation should go. I think we should be listening to. I think white women have to step out of these conversations. So that's well, I guess that's why also it's kind of uncomfortable. Um, because I think we need to step aside. It's not that we can't have an opinion, but uh, I was listening to her speaking recently and she was talking about how white women um, in particular try to access uh, more power through controlling their own bodies and the impact that that has on women of color. And I'm, I'm you know, paraphrasing. People should go and check out her work. But it really did strike me as the it, that there's a kind of... Um, piece of this that I hadn't really even considered in the ways in which, you know, fitness culture and, you know, so-called health and wellness culture intersects with uh, perhaps white privilege. And it's really made me pause and and think about um, things even that I, I might be well-meaning when I say to somebody, oh, you look great. You know, you know, what have you done? I'm, I'm supporting a kind of way of living that I actually think is detrimental as a whole. So, very complicated. That's why I had to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Not anyone would be up for even attempting to answer that question. So oh. <laughs> that, that's part That's part of the why. <laughs> On the social, I'm certain that you are someone who like, you know, became a television host quite naturally. I've had the pleasure of watching you try and do just audio now in podcasting and radio. And I was wondering about how that has been for you because I can sense that it's different for you. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting how many people have said that Josie and I sound the same, which I do not hear at I all. I don't hear but it. We've heard that from about four different people. So that's, that's <laughs> I take that as a huge compliment because she's a, a veteran in the radio space. I think radio is infinitely harder um, than television because you have, I'm an animated speaker I use my hands, I use my body when I speak, and that works in television and it doesn't matter in radio. I think the art of storytelling is really refined. I was, I've been a lot, lifelong fan of This American Life, and I think Ira Glass has that down, just that incredible <laughs> gift of storytelling um, so well. I'm such a big fan of that. Um, yeah, but it's been a hard adjustment, but I love working different muscles. I'm, you're the same way, right? It's just trying yeah. out different things and... Uh, I mean, I still don't think I like, even though I'm a veteran in TV, I'm always still, I learn from my colleagues. I learn about th things that somebody tries and does differently. Um, yeah. It's been an interesting thing to find that different, a different voice. Yeah. Um, there's been tons of great moments in the spotlight, obviously for you too. But um, I remember you sort of alluding to a time on the social where there was hate and maybe even the word attack was used. Would you mind telling me about how you approach tougher uh, moments in the television spotlight? Yeah. I will say that when I first started in television and I got my first negative tweet, I was crushed. I, I was so, yeah, I just remember vividly just being so devastated. And then fast forward this many years later, I mean, I try not to look. You know, I think 
I think the best approach is to just do what you do and value the people whose opinions, you know, whose work you know. There's always going to be trolls. And the bigger you get, the, the more trolls there are. And um, we went through a scary moment on the social when my co-host, Jess Allen, talked about basically some problems that she felt were in the hockey world. And this was, you know, pre all of the sexual scandals that have come out since then. And, you know, this is pre people really openly talking about racism in the NHL. And it was around the time when Don Cherry had been let go. So there was just this sort of perfect storm that took place. And by her comments, she inadvertently pressed a button. And then we all became uh, yeah yeah, we got the hate uh, and and it was scary and you know I was just hearing the governor general talking about how they've shut down comments now on their social accounts and she's an indigenous woman and the level of vitriol and uh death threats and that it is it has reached a fever pitch and I will say this also that apparently the most hate is exported like online hate is exported from Canada and that's a shocking fact I found this out from Whoa. an interview. Exactly. We think of Canada the good, Canada the nice, Canada the apologists. No. The most online hate is exported right here from this country. So we really do have to look at ourselves. And, you know, to go back to what you asked, like I try to ignore this stuff because I really do feel like you can't feed the trolls, you can't engage, you can't, get, you know, and some of them are bots. But it is something that we as a country do need to start looking at more clearly. It's not enough to just be like, well, that doesn't happen in Canada. Mm, It does. What are you most proud of in your career? And if there's like a moment specific that uh, comes to mind? I mean, that's a great question. I, I think it's just a general one. I'm most proud of the fact that when I first started thinking about doing on air stuff, I, it was an absolute hard no for me. And then it was the terrifying prospect of actually doing it. And I did the work. I went, I took improv classes. I went and I practiced. I went and I researched. And then I did it and I worked through the fear. And I think I'm most proud of the fact that I got through that and I got to the gold on the other side because there were many points along the way where I could have given up and maybe I should have looking back being like, you know what, maybe this isn't for you. And maybe there's another way to do your career. But for whatever reason, I, 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 I guess I believed some part of myself or I believed that other people's belief in me was warranted. So I worked through that and I got to a place where I do feel very confident in it, despite my leanings towards introversion. So working through something that is uncomfortable. And I think that that has been such a beautiful message in life, like working through discomfort we need to probably teach more, I think, young people about that. I'm saying this to my son all the time. I'm like, you have to do this. I know it's uncomfortable. Like, to recognize when there's discomfort that we learn from, that we grow from, that we become more resilient from is so important versus just general discomfort that, you know, we should also like have a, a red flag towards. I'm talking about different types of discomfort, you know? But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's good discomfort and uh, I'm proud of working through that. Well, what a perfect segue into... Um, an entire podcast about being uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. Is your co-host available? <laughs> Josie, come. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. 
but I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually, better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to organictraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we've just called in uh, Josie Dye. I think you're the first repeat guest on this podcast. Welcome back. Hi. Congratulations on uh, launch week. We, we want to talk unmentionables. And I mean, it has to start with the story of how you two met. I think most people would know that you met during the pandemic and became close during the pandemic. Yeah, we became close. Um, I have uh, an immune compromised son. So we needed to do I needed for my family to do something um, to keep him safe. Didn't know what COVID would look like. So We decided to start a pod, like a little group of kids learning in my basement, and we needed to hire a teacher and find the other families. And someone said to me, oh, do you know Cynthia Alois? She's in The Social. And I had been on The Social a couple of times, and I was like, oh, yeah, I like her. And uh, so, yeah, you like your family kind of, it was really weird because all these families got really tight together during COVID because we we weren't even allowed to see our parents or our siblings. So it was just us. With each other. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And the kids hung out with each other. <laughs> yeah. And, like it was just a lot of It that. could have been a disaster. It really could have been. Could it have not be. I know. It was really cool. Yeah. But we kept on, like I would find, we would start talking because mm-hmm. I talk a lot about sex. So we'd start talking about sex. And and there was even stuff that was coming up when we were talking that mm-hmm. I was like, I would never say that on the show. Or yeah. I would, but I would never say that out loud. And she was saying the same thing. So slowly we were like, oh, maybe there's something here. Mm-hmm. But the video series was where we started, actually. Yeah. To be honest, we decided one night, my partner, he's a DP. And so we were at her husband's work. And we brought a camera and we decided to start answering like uncomfortable questions. Yeah. That's how it started. And we were like, oh, this is kind of... Jason was laughing so hard. It was it yeah. was weird, though, because it was like, know, oh, your husband there, or your partner, whatever. Yeah, and we started having our, like yeah. hairy bushes and anal sex and mm. weird porn and like mm-hmm. all those things. And, and he was laughing. He was. And he's like, this is good, guys. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> Otherwise, you could have been ready to divorce me. Um, but yeah, and then we decided maybe we should do a podcast as well. That was, yeah. So we had the videos. We were like ready with a website. We were ready with all these things. And then we're like, should we do a podcast? Maybe. So So we did one. What was the most uncomfortable thing that you both shared with each other at the beginning of your friendship? Well, our first podcast basically is it. Yes. So I don't know if you want us to give it away. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was an you have to listen to the podcast. That's right. It was um, an embarrassing yeah. bodily function that I was going through, and I just blurted it out. And when I was on the phone with Josie, she got very, very quiet. And I, I remember th- where I was. I was walking. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when we had this conversation. Yeah. And I thought to myself, <laughs> have I gone too far? Like I basically have just said something gross about myself and she's totally turned off because it was such a big silence. But then she was like, oh, my God, I'm Same going things happening to me. <laughs> yeah. So that's that <laughs> yeah. was basically the moment I feel like we yeah. knew that we became we were a kindred. That's spirits. right. That's right. Strange <laughs> sisters. Yes. <laughs> Now, what about like, there's sometimes a bit of a stigma about working with other women in like a business venture. How did you guys approach that? Like, what if you had opposing views on something? I don't know. I mean, we have, but I don't know if we've actually got to that like part. And we've worked together pretty closely for two years. I we said we have to have fun. We said if we're ever yeah. getting to the point where it's not fun anymore, yeah. we have to reevaluate. I also yeah. really like her. I really like her too. You know what I mean? Like I, but I, and I also feel like we are, we're we're okay with each other's flaws no one's ever okay with my flaw but you're okay with my flaws like you flaws. know i'm not perfect <laughs> nope. like you know i'm super messy but i will perform yeah like i'll perform for you yeah but like if i'm gonna put a social media post out there will be a spelling mistake i also feel like probably i already can tell and i might be wrong because it hasn't really happened much but if one of us got mad at some point i think we both have the capability to walk away, not walk away from the venture, but walk away and just like drop, drop it, it, drop it. Yeah. And no longer like it's, not, I don't think I'm going to hold resentment no. because I we're very clear. Like, and we also both come from like really intense situations, you know, like, no, you know what it's like being in broadcasting. You have to make it work with people who they put you together with. And we're both very fortunate that we have great co-hosts, like really great co-hosts, but we've also had to deal with pressure situations that are really intense so at least this time it's like we know we want it to be fun because we already are dealing with that in our own lives Mm -hmm. you know so it's um yeah Yeah. it's been great so like on the social um if let's say you wanted to talk about said bodily function from you know one of your first first few episodes how did you feel at the thought of talking about that in that space compared to unmentionables and Josie how would you feel talking about something like that on the radio station. Well, I know for me, I mean, in the mornings, nobody wants to hear about certain things. You're, you're, you know, you have families, you have kids in the car. I mean, we really do push the envelope on Indy, but at the same time, it, it can only go so far. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least with this venture, I mean, people can choose not to listen. You know, you don't have to block people. Their kids aren't listening to this. So if they don't want to listen, they don't have to listen. So yeah, yeah it's different. Yeah. And also like with our show, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely thing, but it's a grind and it's a, it's a daytime audience. So we have similar restrictions. And even though our show, the, the social is, is designed to sort of be a dinner party conversation it's not entirely because I'm constantly aware, like in the 10 years we've done that show, I've never sworn, but it's been nice to do this and just be like, this is the way I talk. Yeah. (laughs) This is the way I talk with my friends. I'm not censoring myself at all. So, which is a bit more vulnerable though, because I have had the thought of, I had this thought, I'll be totally honest with you. What happens when my son, for example, Mm -hmm. listens to this, which inevitably he will. And I, I talked to a friend of mine and I loved what she said and Mm -hmm. just made me um, feel so good. And I shared it with Josie as well, where she's like, you believe in, in this ethos, which is that shame is bad for us and shame makes us like miserable. And Mm -hmm. you know, it's our messiness and our imperfections that are actually what makes us lovely and human. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's an antidote to that whole perfect world on Pinterest and you know, Instagram. And so even though my son will be embarrassed of me and of her because they'll be embarrassed of everybody who's their parent, 
but at least I can stand behind this idea of like, you know what? We had good intentions. We wanted to open up conversations and I believe that he'll like, he, he'll be proud of that one day. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's exactly the same thing. A hundred percent. And, um, yeah, and I'm proud. And, and the topics that we're talking about, I mean, you know, even I was worried about my mom a little bit, but my mom did a deep dive like yesterday. She went through our entire website. She listened to the first episode and she's like, why were you worried about me listening to this? Aww. And I was like, I don't know, mom, because it's kind of personal. And she's like, I love it. I love that. <gasps> I know that. Yeah, she's like, I just love it. I love that you're talking about this. Like, cause she's gone through some of the things I've gone through and she's like, this is great. So that made me feel really good, yeah. you know? Yeah. My mom has not listened to it. <laughs> yeah. So I've done a little bit of production work behind the scenes with unmentionables yeah. and I was trying to explain this concept to my mom like yeah it's kind of like modern day sex with Sue and talking about you know things you don't always want to talk about that aren't even sexy let us yeah. know what your mom says yeah <laughs> I will I will what about the husbands what about the husbands Jason and Joel well like we said like the, Jason was a part Jason of it Jason was a part of it Jason's still a part yeah. of yeah. it he, he is like I call Jason with asking him things about even like tech stuff so I'm like you know that episode we did about kinky porn Jason <laughs> could you take this in this so he's part of it Joel um I mean you know Joel Joel has always been very forthcoming uh, about most of his issues like which I won't give any to anyway right now because we're gonna do a podcast on one of them yep, yep yep um but yeah I think Joel hasn't heard very much of it like he really hasn't he kind of like we haven't really He's he's been there for ideas with you know website design. and design. Um, so yeah, he's, he's away in Australia. He's away right in now, Australia. So. He heard the first one. Do yeah. you like it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, what is it? What's that reaction? There was There's one part of it that it. he was like, "Did you really need to include that mm-hmm. detail? Yeah, detail?" We're not going to say what it is because we don't yeah. need to perpetuate that. Mm-hmm. But there was one detail that he didn't love. <laughs> he was like, "You went a little far on this, Joe." So yeah. I was like, "Oh, sorry." Yeah. But he sent me flowers because he's not here. So oh. he sent me flowers on launch day, which is really sweet, so and Valentine's there Day. There you go. Yeah. And so- I bought my own champagne for myself yesterday. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so he'll be fine. He'll be fine. And most of the stories he knows, you know, like like because right. when we did our cheating is about my ex. Um, I asked, mm-hmm. I called my ex and told him we were doing this, and he was cool. How did that go? Um, you were worried about that. I was really worried about that. He listened to it. He actually was shocked. He said, "I had no idea. That's why." you cheated on me. Like he had no idea, even though I'm, I thought I had told him like at the time, this is what happened, but I don't even know if I really realized what I was doing until afterwards. Right. Um, and then he has a podcast that's competing with ours. So, uh, (laughs) I messaged him and I said, Oh, we beat your podcast today. And he's like, you want me to tell you what his response yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's so clever. Don't and you do have to go, you know, we've got the, we're going to have the links in the episode notes, but you need to go listen to the cheating episode for the context on what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. And don't ever name who it is. You probably of course, know. Of course. I will. Nope. Okay. Well, let's not talk. He doesn't want to read it. It's not him. It's me. I don't want to name in him. In the vault. He's like, yeah, but you were talking about me. So I still get some of the credit. Oh. <laughs> I was like, hey. We beat you today, LOL. Yeah, but you were talking about me. (laughs) So there you go. Male ego right there. So, okay, there's going to be a ton of your personal lives in what you're doing. And I think this is a question I often ask just, you know, whether it's a podcast, a television show, radio, how are you going to deal with the boundaries and the lines with your family as a whole? Oh, I mean, 
I've already just said to my mom, I said, this is not for you. Like I think, and I said that to Jaya as well. Because <laughs> Jaya's heard us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I you know, like I actually feel like now that you said that your mom kind of liked it, that mm-hmm. maybe I would send her specific ones. But I think it isn't for everyone. And I think that's okay. And Jaya will probably look at part of it. And I can't control that. Um, again, I go back to, I think that the bigger philosophy around it is important. And there's this illusion that we have that, things just because they look nice and pretty and clean and organized or whatever, they look on the surface really like wholesome. We know now that a lot of wholesome things or wholesome people or politicians who are so upstanding are actually doing really fucking filthy, disgusting things behind closed doors. And so I would rather reverse. We are wholesome, lovely, great people. And so we're talking about some of the messiness and at least we're being upfront about it. Mm -hmm. I'll stand behind that till I die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like see this room that I guess was supposed to look really clean if you move the camera although it's not you're gonna see a whole lot of mess <laughs> talk about I know Josie you've mentioned your mom um when you were on my podcast previously as you know one of those early inspirations to you but Cynthia where does all this come from for you and what about the people behind the scenes who have sort of been cheering you on that made you feel like this was the best idea my mom has always been a firecracker even though the topics that I talk about are not her bag. She is definitely somebody who calls out things that she doesn't agree with. And so I think that's where I got it from. I, my sister is a huge inspiration. We both, I think that's mm-hmm. partially why also we jive because mm-hmm. we both have like sisters who we can fight with and we can argue with and we adore and deeply who respect. Could, they both could like take over the world. That's the right. Two of them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> totally whip smart mm-hmm. and amazing. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of women. I've been surrounded by women in the broadcasting world. I, I work with, my bosses are all women. My co-hosts are women. Mm-hmm. Almost all the producers on my, my our show are women. So I'm literally surrounded by fierce, brilliant, competitive, and driven women. And so I'm constantly, there's an endless source of inspiration. You're lucky too. Yeah. Very lucky. Yeah. Yes. I, I've never yeah. had that experience. Radio, there's of not like, that. You're no. surrounded by that. <laughs> yeah. No. Very lucky. I am lucky. Mm-hmm. I do feel lucky. Okay. So if you had to nominate a few women to come on this podcast and share their stories, who do you think would be an awesome guest? Pick a couple names. Oh my gosh. There are so many. Andrea Bain. I am such a big fan. She's a CTV broadcaster. Previously, she worked on The Goods. Prior to that, I believe she was a producer on The Mike Bullard Show. She has stories for days. She's whip smart. I just adore her. Uh, I also would say Julie Black. She, of course, like incredible musician. And I just think she has in the last... She's always been so talented and so interesting, but in the last like 10 years or so, she's just come into this different side of herself. And I'm endlessly fascinated watching her. She's done that 100 Strong and Sexy movement. And I just, I, I love her. Those are two people who come to mind. I already did mine. And you're oh. on it. You're, oh. you're on it. And you're here <laughs> oh, now. Oh, and I'm here so. now. So that all came in. <laughs> I'm so done. there we go. Circle. Circle. Yeah. You're welcome to drop another name if you want to. Like Meredith Shaw. Have you had Meredith, oh, Meredith Shaw? She's going to be on our I next have episode. had Meredith. She's going to be in our yes. next episode, and uh, she is. She helped both of us, I think, a lot, mm-hmm. like a lot. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to body image, and you know, I, I think you talked to Cynthia about this earlier, but about that need and that struggle that we all have to look a certain way, and just instead of looking at the number, just be happy with the way we are. So yeah, Meredith Shaw has been on the podcast already, but you need to hear the episode with her on body image that will be coming out on Unmentionables. Okay, so ladies, um, congrats on launch week. I'm so excited for you guys, and I know there's endless content in the bank, so I can't wait to hear what else is in there. Thank you for all your help, too. Yeah, thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. We couldn't have done it without you. 
You can find all the links to Cynthia and Josie's unmentionables in the episode notes or at womeninmedia.ca. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app that goes for the Women in Media podcast as well. And do not miss the next episode. That would be the one featuring the story of Josie's husband. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.